Welcome to House of Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message from this past Sunday. For more information about other messages or events at House of Hope, visit www.ihope.today. Here's a funny story. A man was, you can go ahead and start. Um, a man was driving along the highway when he saw the Easter rabbit hopping along across the middle of the road. He swerved to avoid hitting the rabbit, but unfortunately the Easter bunny jumped in front of the car and was struck by his car. Oh, the basket of eggs and candy the rabbit was carrying went flying over the pla- all over the place. The driver, being a sensitive man as well as an animal lover, pulled over to the side of the road, got out to see what had become of the rabbit carrying the basket. Much to his dismay, the colorful rabbit was dead. The driver felt so awful he began to cry. A woman, driving down the highway, saw the man crying on the side of the road and pulled over. She stepped out of the car and asked the man what was wrong. I feel terrible, he explained. I accidentally hit the Easter bunny and I killed it. Children will be so disappointed. What should I do? The woman told the man not to worry. She knew what to do. She went to her trunk and pulled out a spray can. She walked over to the dead, limp rabbit and sprayed the contents of the can onto the furry animal. Miraculously, the Easter rabbit came to life, jumped up, picked up the spilled eggs and the candy, waved his paw at the two humans and hopped down the road. Fifty meters away, the Easter rabbit stopped, turned around, waved and hopped down the road. Fifty meters later, he stopped, turned around, waved, and continued on. Another 50 meters, he waved again. The man was astonished. He couldn't figure out what the substance could be that the woman sprayed from the can. He ran over to the woman and said, What's in your spray can? What did you spray on the Easter bunny? The woman turned the can around so that he could read it, read the label, and it said, Hairspray restores to life dead hair, adds permanent wave. Ah, uh, yeah. If that wasn't pathetic, they laughed. You get, I guess you just have a pathetic sense of humor. Anyway. No, that was prophetic. It wasn't pathetic. This morning, um, I want to share just a few minutes. Um, I don't have a lot, but I, what I do have is, uh, is pretty amazing. Um, if I do say so myself, because <laughs> the Lord gave it to me. So... Um, I want to talk about the beauty of the Father's love for us. And um, oftentimes, you know, we get into our situations where um, we think, like, how am I in this situation? I must have done something wrong for the Lord to punish me this way. I must, be, I must have done something wrong in my life for me to be going through this. Um, you know, the first statement, I must have done something wrong for the Lord to be punishing me, and I must have done something wrong for me to be in this situation are actually conundrums. Because the Lord will never do something to us to punish us, but we do things to ourselves to put us in situations. And it's, it's how we view the Father's love for us, how we handle those situations. So if we're in a situation on this side where the Father, where we say, like, I, can't, I don't know what I've done wrong for me to be in this situation, oh, I guess I'm going to blame the Father. Because I know as a dad... That anytime my kids get into situations, I love being blamed for their actions. 
Isn't that just something as parents, how many parents are here that you just, something rises up in you with such great joy and adulation that says, wow, yes, I am the cause of my, my children's pain, right? Am I right? No. Yeah, no, no, I'm not. It's, it's, did you spill on yourself or is that a shadow? Okay. Sorry. I just was getting distracted by the shadow. <laughs> So, you know, we get into situations where, where you know, we want, to, um, we want to place blame. And we have to come to the point where we have to realize that situations that we are in are, are sometimes of our own doing, or sometimes it's been caused to us by other people, and we're caught up in the situation. But the Lord will never actually cause us to go into a situation that causes pain but he will use those situations and teach us. Does that make sense? So the beauty of the Father's love for us is that we have to come to an understanding that the Father is good. And, it, it, and you're like, yeah, oh, he's talking about the goodness of God again. Yeah, probably so. Because we have to get it. We have to understand that he's a father. I think I mentioned it earlier in the service where I said he's not a judge. And, you're, and some of you are like, oh, he's heresy. Something's rising up. Because, because we have to understand out of the Hebrew mindset, out of the Hebrew culture where we get our relationship with the Father, is that he is a father first. And that's the beauty of the, his love. It's, it's the beauty. It was in the 1500s, and I'm not going to go into the theology and the church history, but in the 1500s is where we started to develop this idea that predominantly the father was a judge and that he had to judge us for the sin in our lives, and that's why he sent Jesus. It's called, it's rooted, John Calvin was the one that started the theological mindset of this, but actually he pulled the mindset out of the Greek theology, the theologians, um, Plato and Aristotle, and there was one other one, I forget his name. But it was, it was um, do you say Socrates? Someone say Socrates? Socrates, it was Socrates. Um, whatever. Aristotle, Plato, and Socrates were the three big Greek philosophers that came up with this idea of who, if, God, if there is a God of the universe, if there is an all-knowing God, then he's going to have to have these three attributes. And so, some, so Augustine came along. I said I wasn't going to tell you church history. I'm sorry. But Augustine came along and said, hey, I agree with these three. And so Augustine was the emperor of Rome, and he said, I'm going to become a Christian, and I believe that all these attributes from the Greek, the Greek mindset. And then John Calvin, a thousand... 500 years later, or 1,100 years later, came in and said, hey, I agree with Augustine, and thus began our journey with God as a judge, and what in theological circles is called penal atonement, or the, um, again, this is not in my notes, so I'm just pulling from my memory, but atonement, penal, Richard, help me out. Penal Penal atonement, yeah, penal atonement, where God is the judge and, and he's sitting there and he has to judge you and he sent Jesus because Jesus was sinless and, and he was going to, all that kind of stuff, right? But God is a father. And if you look through the eyes or through the filters of the beauty of the father's love, you will see that throughout history in the Bible, 
is laid out that he is constantly reaching out and saying, sin is not an issue. I want you. If you look back at the Garden of Eden, the beauty of the Father's love was that he actually walked into the garden, saw what Adam Adam and Eve had done, and called out to them. They were hiding. And he called out, he says, like, Adam, where are you? You know, we're, we, we, you know, we're naked and we were afraid. Well, I told you you were naked. It's okay. Like, he was reaching out. The consequences of that, of, the, of that action caused him to have to remove them from the garden, but it wasn't because he couldn't handle their actions. That's, that was just the, the start. But looking, flash forward, let's look at the life of Jesus. And, and I've, t- I've talked about this before, that Jesus' chief um, mandate to come to the earth was to show what the Father was. Because what did Jesus say? If you've seen me, you've seen what? Yeah. And his, so he wanted to come and reveal the Father to, to a world that actually didn't have an idea of who God the Father was. He, he came and, and he began to show and began to, to um, demonstrate who the Father was through his actions through his ministry, through his, the things that he did, he was actually mirroring who the Father was. And one of the things that struck me this week as I was kind of pondering this stuff was that Jesus was never in a hurry. And if Jesus was never in a hurry, that means the Father is not in a hurry. It means the Holy Spirit is not in a hurry. How do you get that? Well, let's look at John 11. So I'm just going to read, we're going to read this chapter, and I'm just going to highlight a few things that have struck me. In the village of Bethany, there was a man named Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha. Mary was the one who would anoint Jesus' feet with costly perfume and dry her feet with her long hair. One day, Lazarus became very sick to the point of death. So his sisters sent a message to Jesus, Lord, our brother Lazarus, the one that you love is very sick. Please come. When he had heard this, he said, This sickness will not end in death for Lazarus, but it will bring glory and praise to God. This will reveal the greatness of the Son of God by what takes place. Even though Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus, he remained where he was for two more days. Finally, on the third day, he said to the disciples, Come, it's time to go to Bethany. How many of us would respond when we have bad news from home? Bad news from really good friends. You know, it could be visiting my sister in Edmonton and I get a call from Roger and Rayanne and said, hey, something has happened to one of the kids. Um, like, could you guys come? And what would I do? What would Deanna and I do? We would, we would say, hey, see you. And in six hours, I would be back in Cranbrook. It's an eight-hour drive. And, and that's just what we would do. And I think we would do that for anybody, if it's one of our kids or if it's one of our, any, any one of us, we would get bad news and we would actually react and we wouldn't go. It's just, it's just built into us. But Jesus, he's like, yeah, okay, it's cool. Two days. 
What does that what does that show us? It shows us that Jesus really didn't care. Is that what it's showing us? No, not at all. It, it just shows us that he actually saw the big picture, saw something that was going on, and had talked to the father, and the father had said, just hold on, we're going to do something cool here. But the people around him didn't understand that. And so oftentimes, we, we, don't, we miss the beauty of the father's love because we actually we, we react to a situation instead of acting. Something comes against us, and, and, and we go... And we go fling, you know, the arms go out or the fists come out or we, our voice, our, 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 our tongue starts to wag. And we actually stop, need to stop and go, Father, what are you doing in this situation? I know that you have this, you're in charge of this, and I need to respond accordingly. So what are we going to do? So Jesus gets the news. He gets the, he gets the invite from, from Mary and Martha saying, Lazarus is not dead. He is sick. Would you please come? And he's like, nope, we're going to wait. So in verse 8, it says, But teacher, they said to him, do you really want to go back there? It's just a short time ago that the people of Judea were going to stone you. So all of a sudden now fear has been introduced into the, into the equation. How many times do we get news that we're like, yeah, I think I need to respond to this. And all of a sudden the enemy comes in and speaks a word. And all of a sudden fear becomes the forefront and not the promise. It's the beauty of the Father's love to us to say, fear not. Fear not. Don't be afraid. How many times did Jesus in his, in his ministry on the earth with the disciples tell the disciples, don't be afraid? Don't be afraid. It's me. I'm in this. I've got you. Don't be afraid. And if Jesus, is the, if Jesus is the picture of the Father, you can see the Father up there with his loving Father's heart going, you guys, don't be afraid. I'm good. I, I, I'm, I got you. I've got this. You're amazing. Don't be afraid. Jesus replied, Are there not 12 hours of daylight in every day? You can go through a day without the fear of stumbling when you walk in the, in the one who gives light to the world. But you will stumble when light is not in you, for you'll be walking in the dark. And Jesus added, Lazarus, our friend, has just fallen asleep. It's time that I go and awaken him. And they heard this. The disciples replied, Lord, if he's just fallen asleep, then he'll get better. Jesus was speaking about Lazarus's death, but the disciples presumed he was talking about natural sleep. I just love it how the disciples just... They're always like three steps behind Jesus, right? <laughs> always. <laughs> and Jesus made it plain to them. He said, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. Because now you have another opportunity to see who I am so that you will learn to trust in me. Come, let us go and I see him. So this is another opportunity for you to see how good my father is and for you to have an opportunity to learn and to trust in him. So Thomas, nicknamed the twin, remarked to the other disciples, let's go so that we can die with him. <laughs> it's, it's like Thomas, like he's the same one that on the resurrection day, he's like, Lord, I believe, but I got to see the hands. I got to see your, the nail scars. I got to see the, the, your side. And Jesus is like, yeah, come on in. Put your hand in my side. 
okay, it's all good. I believe now. Same guy. It's like he just didn't get it. He's like, okay, we're going to go die. I'm going to go die with you. His heart was good, but he just didn't see. Now, when they arrived in Bethany, which was only about two miles from Jerusalem, Jesus found that Lazarus' body, or sorry, that Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Many friends of Mary and Martha had come from the region to console them over the loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was approaching the village, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. So here's Martha, good old Martha. She said, my Lord, if only you had come sooner, my brother wouldn't have died. But I know that if you were to ask God for anything, he would do it for you. So she had moved. There was this sense that because weeks prior, Jesus was in their house, right? And they were doing the thing. And Martha was, Mary was, was sitting at, at Jesus's feet, worshiping, enjoying his presence. Martha was putting on a party and she was ticked off because Mary wasn't helping. Here's Martha now, still with the attitude But she's like, you just have to say the word, and I know it'll happen. You can see the progress in her her walk. You can see how she's beginning to understand the beauty of the Father's love, because she's understanding in that process. It's taken several months, but you can see the change. Jesus told her, this is verse 23, Jesus told her, your brother will rise and live. She replied, yes, I know he'll rise with everyone else on the resurrection day. Martha, Jesus said, you don't have to wait until then. I am the resurrection, and I am eternal life. Anyone who clings to me in faith, even though he dies, will live forever. And the one who lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And Martha replied, yes, Lord, I do. I've always believed that you are the anointed one, the son of God who has come into the world for us. Then she left and hurried off to her sister Mary and called her aside from all the mourners and whispered to her ear, the master is here and he's asking for you. So when Mary heard this, she quickly went off to find him for Jesus was lingering outside the village in the same spot where Martha had met him. Now when Mary's friends who were comforting her noticed how quickly she ran out of the house, they followed her, assuming that she was going to the tomb of her brother to mourn. When Mary finally found Jesus outside the village, she fell to his feet in tears. Lord, if you only only had been here, my brother would not have died. And so when Jesus looked at Mary, he saw her weeping at his feet, and all her friends were with her were grieving. He shuddered with emotion and was deeply moved with tenderness and compassion. And he said to them, where did you bury him? Lord, come with us and we'll show you, they replied. Then tears streamed down Jesus's face. Jesus, seeing Jesus weep, caused many of the mourners to say, oh, look how how much he loved Lazarus. Yet others would say, isn't this the one who opens blind eyes? Why didn't he do something to keep Lazarus from dying? He always got that voice. We always have these voices in, in the midst of our crisis who are going, well, you should have done this. Yeah, how come you didn't do that? Oh, you're such an idiot. I can't believe that you do that. Yet you're in the middle of this crisis that you're moved beyond measure in emotion. And you're going to have those ones yipping at you in the back of your mind. I can't believe you did that. You deserve that. You deserve to, to walk through that because you should have, should have, blah, blah, blah. Then Jesus, with intense emotions, basically he ignored the voices. 
He ignored. He used the power of ignore. How many times do we get into situations where we have the voices going on outside, whether it's well-meaning friends or family, and we respond and it causes even more of an issue within our relationship circles when really what the Father is saying, who do you trust? you trust in the beauty of my love for you? Or are you going to listen to the words? Are you going to listen to the voices? So Jesus ignored them. Then Jesus, with intention motions, came to the tomb, a cave, with a stone placed over its entrance. Jesus told them, roll away the stone. Martha said, but Lord, he's been dead for four days. By now, his body is already decomposing. You read that in the old King James? It's like, but Lord, he stinketh. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus looked at her and said, didn't I tell you that if you believe in me, you will see God unveil his power. So they rolled away the heavy stone. Jesus peeked into heaven. No, I'm just kidding. Jesus gazed into heaven and said, Father, thank you that you have heard my prayer. For you listen to every word I speak. Now so that these who stand here with me will believe that you have sent me to the earth as your messenger I will use the power that you have given me. And with a loud voice, Jesus shouted with authority, Lazarus, come out of the tomb. Could you imagine being there on that day? There would have been something electric. There would have been something like, like what I described that with the, the lightning hitting the ground and life coming back. There was something in Jesus' voice, and it was his authority. It was who he was. It was the beauty of the Father's love for those people at that moment that actually caused Lazarus to reanimate and to come to life again. Then in front of everyone, Lazarus, who had died four days earlier, slowly hobbled out, for he had still had grave clothes tightly wrapped around his hands and his feet and covering his face. Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let him loose. From that day forward, many of those who had come to visit Mary believed in him, for they had seen with their own eyes the amazing miracle. But a few went back to inform the Pharisees about what Jesus had done. So the Pharisees and the chief priests called a special meeting of the high council and said, so what are we going to do about this man? Look at all the great miracles he's performing. And if we allow him to continue like this, everyone will believe in him. Oh, heavens, horror. That they realized that they were losing control of a religion that they so desperately wanted to hang on to. And the Romans will take action and destroy both of our country and our people. So they were, being, they were actually responding to political and religious fear. Jesus was there to set them free. To, to, you know, it, was the, it was the Isaiah 61. It was the declared, this is why I'm here. The Spirit of the Lord is on me to do this. And they were afraid that he would do that lest they be killed. And from that point on, from John 11 to the end of John, it was, it was, the, it was the quote unquote, the downfall of Jesus. At that point, later on in a few verses, it says that Jesus actually stayed away from large crowds. And he, 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 you know, he had people come to him, but he never was in a place where there was, was open again. It's because at that point, the Pharisees and the Sadducees had purposed in their heart that they were going to kill him. And so he was wise. He wasn't fearful. He still did what he was called to do. 
But the biggest thing that I can see, and I'm, I'm just going to wrap this up, is that the beauty of who the Father is, the beauty of his love for us, he gives us opportunity to embrace him as a father. And it doesn't matter where we've been. It doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter what we've said or the experiences of life, whatever it is. He's like, all of those things are meaningless to me. I want you. I want you. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful picture when Jesus told the story of, of, the, of the, you know, we call it the story of the prodigal son. We always think that, you know, the prodigal son was, he was evil and he was wrong and he was, and, and, and yet we miss the, the fact that the story isn't so much about him, it's about the father. Standing, you know, on a hill every day, looking for his son to come back, knowing at some point the money was going to run out. And then when he would see him, that's a whole other sermon. But the fact that the father is a picture of the, the, how beautiful the father loves us is that he would break their tradition of casting out a son. Because the tradition was when a son asked for his inheritance, it was a massive dishonor to the father, to that household. And so when the father gave him money, he didn't give him his inheritance, he gave him money. And he took his money, it was the, 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 the village would rise up and cast out that, that person. And so the father stood um, on the edge of the village looking for his son because what they would do is what the village would hear that the son, a son, or whoever it was that caused the offense would be coming back. They would actually take clay pots and they would meet the person before they come to the edge of the village and they would break the pots and thus saying, you are, you are expelled from this place and you are, you are cast out. You have no business being here. You've offended your father and your household. And we as a village are, or a city are coming against you. That was the tradition. And so the picture of the father in this story, standing there waiting, and at the end of the, of the, towards the end of the story, it says, and the father stood and he, he viewed the son from afar. And basically he hiked up his robes and he took off after the son to greet him before the village had a chance to come out and do the tradition. And so when the father met the son and he said, this is my son, who am I well pleased? He's, and, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the son bowed before him and said, I, I just, I, I have nothing. I want, can I be a servant in your house? And the son wasn't even repentant. He just said he was hungry. He wasn't, his heart wasn't to change yet. He just said, can I, can I work in your place because I'm basically, I'm hungry. He was being motivated, not by repentance, but he was being motivated by hunger. And the father still looked at him and, and, and then did what? Gave him back his authority, gave him a ring, gave him a robe, gave him shoes, and restored him to a place of relationship. It's a beautiful picture of the beautiful love the father has for us because we do the same thing. And we don't mean to, but we do our own thing and we, you know, we come back and we do this, we do that. And he's always there to welcome us in. He is always there. And that's, you know, the, as, we, as we celebrate a Resurrection Sunday and we res- celebrate, you know, Jesus coming alive, it's the fact that he did that just gives us that ability to come back into his presence. 
It's the beauty of the Father's love for us. We have to get that into our hearts, that he is such a loving father. And he just simply wants us to have that connection with him. Does that make sense? He's that good. It's, he's that good. And I know there's probably things rolling in your head. What about the, what about this? Well, what about the, you have to ask him about that. I just know, and I will stand, it'll be my, you know, the hill that I choose to die on. It will be, he's that good. And it doesn't matter what is going on around me. It doesn't matter what other people have said, done, or do. I will say that the Father loves you unconditionally, and he wants you. Amen? Let's stand. So, Father, we declare this morning that you are good. And we celebrate Jesus' resurrection. And we celebrate the power that, that brought him back to life. And we celebrate who you are. And we just declare openly and unashamedly that you are amazing and you are good. And that you have good things for us. No matter what we've done, no matter where we've been, no matter who we've associated with or the things that have caused us to, to stumble. You are there with a hand and you to reach out and to pick us up and say, son, daughter, let's go. And Lord, we celebrate that this morning. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to our Sermon of the Week. Our desire is that you will be changed by the love of the Father and the power of his presence. For more information about House of Hope, visit us at www.ihope.today.